0: You're listening to Always Player One, a solo board gaming podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to Always Player One. I'm Scruffy.
0: And I'm Norm. And today we're going to be talking about The Wretched, which is a solo-only role-playing game. We're also going to be looking at the thematic tie-ins to the mechanics that the game uses, horror in games, different verbs that we use in games such as board games and role-playing games, and the emotional investment that players are asked to take on in this game. Before we unpack that really broad topic, just a quick reminder that the Mage Knight tournament is now into round number three, which is really exciting. Uh, We're now into the final eight. This tournament is taking place on our Discord. We have lots of other fun things going on in the Discord, and just a reminder that it's free to join. Just follow the link in the description to join our Discord, and we'll see you over there. One other thing to mention before we dive into the main topic is Scruffy did a playthrough of The Wretched which is now edited and it is slick and really fun to listen to. It's over on his YouTube channel. The links to that are also in the description. Without any further ado, let's crack on with the episode. Scruffy, tell us a little bit about The Wretched.
1: Okay, yeah, so uh, my, like, like Norm says, my playthrough of this is up on YouTube now. It was a very personal experience for me, and we'll unpack that in the episode. And I should just quickly throw out a little content warning here that the experience for both of us and that the content of the game was did take us to some fairly dark places, and very it deals with hopelessness and things like that. So just thought I'd make that clear. Okay, so uh, it's quite a quick description for this game. It's pretty simple. Let's uh, Let's go over it now. The Wretched is a solo journaling RPG in which you take on the role of the last remaining crewmate aboard a spaceship named the Wretched, having just ejected a creature which killed the rest of your crew. The creature is still alive, however, clinging to the ship and trying to get in. You begin the game by setting up a stackable tower, I used a Jenga tower, a deck of playing cards, and a D6 dice. The game then instructs you to record your first log following a short script in the rulebook. You can record the log however you like. We both chose to do audio logs. After this script is recorded, you will start the first day, rolling the D6, drawing that many cards from the deck, and turning them over to resolve their instructions one at a time. Each card will have a small narrative description in the rulebook, and you are encouraged to make notes on these experiences, answering any specifics to do with the situations that occur. After all the cards for the day have been encountered, you will record another audio log going through your notes on the day and what happened. The cards will often instruct you to remove a block from the stackable tower, and this tower represents your ship. If it ever falls, the game is over immediately and your ship explodes. There are other ways to lose the game too. For example, the creature could get in and kill you, and it's possible to win by fixing the engines or repairing the beacon and awaiting rescue. The mechanics for how to do this, however, are only reveal themselves as the game goes on and when you encounter certain cards. This means that you go in with a lack of concrete information on how you can get out of your situation, and you uncover it as you go. A mechanical connect, which is perfect for you to have as it mirrors your character situation perfectly. There we go. I couldn't even get through the description without praising this game. because (laughs) It's uh, obviously one that I had a really, really fun time with. And like I said, right from the start there, it was a very personal journey for me. And I think the mechanics of the system really allowed that to happen. And we'll, we'll go over that. Now. Did uh, did I miss anything in the description? Then not. Uh, I don't think so, Scruffy. I would say I don't know if it says the ship explodes
0: when Jenga tower collapses. It says there's a mass. I think it says there's a massive
1: systems failure. So it could be anything. It could be like oxygen depletes and you can't breathe, or you can kind of.
0: Yeah, which I think takes us into the first thing I want to talk about, which is the cards, the deck of playing cards in the game. Of all the mechanics, it's probably what I want to talk about first, just because the reason that's that that's important that the the distinction I just made there that when your Jenga tower falls, it's a a massive systems failure rather than just an explosion. It might be an explosion, but it doesn't always have to be, is because the cards do some really excellent foreshadowing with that kind of stuff. So. I want to sort of unpack how that works. So, did you mention in your description that there are different how the different suits work in playing cards? I think. No, we're... I haven't brought that up. No. Brilliant. So um, let's talk about that now. So I was I loved that the different suits had different meanings, and you become very familiar with them quite quickly. Did you also enjoy that?
1: Yeah. So the way it works is each suit kind of links to a specific thing to do with your situation. So I think spades are to do with the creature. That's right. Diamonds are to do with the structure of the ship and the systems, and I can't remember what the other two are, but that sort of thing. Like uh, one's to do with like the cr- the, the crew isn't anything else. Clubs is to do with your former crew, and yeah, when you draw them, you kind of automatically know what the specific prompt is going to be to do with, but you don't know the specifics about what it is to do with that.
0: My other favorite thing about the cards in particular is you mentioned how they tell you you know, give you your own piece of narrative instruction, you know, you enter this space of the ship and this thing happens. But what they do really well is they also ask you a question. Mm. And it's often to do with relating it back to how this is personal to your character. Mm. There are often questions like, how does this make you feel? So for an example might be, you find an important item that reminds you of a former crewmate. How does this make you feel? And you think, oh, okay, well, it made me feel lonely. And then you have to kind of think, well, why does it make me feel lonely? I can't just, that's not the answer, right? I can't just say it makes me feel lonely. Oh, well, it makes me feel lonely because I'm reminded of my crewmate. And then you have to, in the fiction, make up your crewmate. And one thing I did to make it easier is I use real names of people in my life. So I might use my mum's name. And then all of a sudden, I start to feel these emotions that my character's feeling, because I'm thinking of what it would be like to live without my mother, which is a horrible feeling. And it allows you to really embellish on the, on the fiction and also really almost like single-mindedly remind you throughout the game, this is how you should be feeling. You should be feeling lonely. You should be feeling hopeless. You should be feeling like you're in a horror movie.
1: And if that doesn't sound fun to you, that's because it isn't. <laughs> no, I I, I I, had, I was absolutely buzzing when I finished playing this game. And the reason was because I went to places emotionally that I have never ever in my life gone to. I guess I'm pretty lucky in that I've never had to deal with any situation like this, where the whole way through the game, you're having to confront A seemingly hopeless situation and obviously try and cling on to hope. I think we both went in with completely different approaches for our characters in in the game. I decided to go in with the thought that my character was going to try and be optimistic throughout the whole thing. PMA, positive attitude all the way through. And I think that was a really great choice for me because it's naturally what I think me as a person would do anyway. So it was a natural response to the situations coming up. But when these situations come up and it asks you for the specific details, which you make a note of, and in your, in your, I was using a little notepad as I was going, and then you then come to record after all the rest of the experiences for the day, it's really interesting kind of looking back over it all and, and having to confront those things all over again as your character like you experienced it when you were writing in the notebook in that moment. And then you experience it again with the, with the next level of context. And then having to actually say it as the player, it was really quite something.
0: Yeah. And I, like you said, we, we had very different approaches. I tried something completely opposite. I know that the game's intention is to make you feel this feeling of hopelessness and loneliness. And, you know, and, and in order for that horror to come off and to, 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 to pay off. I'm not an actor in any way, shape, or form. So I decided very early on that I was going to lean into the darkness. I was going to have my character feeling like he wants to give up, he can't imagine a way out. And that really framed the experience and took me in places that I didn't expect it to. And it was the first time in any role-playing game, not just solo, but any role-playing game at all, that I've experienced uh, Bleed. If you haven't heard the term Bleed before in this context, it is the idea that the emotions that you feel in character then bleed over into your personal life and, you know, the emotions of you as uh, as a person. And I was kind of going around for the rest of the evening trying to do my really mundane tasks like make dinner and and watch TV with my partner. And it was difficult because one part of my mind was still on... The wretched, you know, is still on this experience that I had in these places that I went to. And that sounds bad, but it wasn't. I had this like adrenaline rush, you know, I was, yes, I was on this other cloud and it felt weird. I wanted to just talk about it to everyone. I wanted, to, guess mm. what? I just did. I just had this crazy experience. But <laughs> of course, non gamers don't, don't tend to care. And even gamers, if they haven't played it, they won't, they won't be able to. To empathize. so I'm glad that you've en- you enjoyed it as well, Scruffy.
1: It's nice hearing you say the same thing because it's really hard to communicate a feeling like that, isn't it? It's very hard to communicate something that is so transformative and so personal. Like I know that we will have felt, I-, I suppose, a fairly similar level of intense feeling, but it will have been unique and personal to us and our specific situation and our specific mindset and how we deal with this situation and the fact that the game pulls that out of you that it, it manages to get you to not only because even though the stakes are really low you, you know you're not actually on this spaceship but you're having to actually say the words as though you are <laughs> and you know i ended up uh, just saying in, in one of my logs just one day at a time and that was not just my character saying just one day at a time. It was me as the player saying just one day at a time. That is the only way I can envision winning. I just need to take these cards one day at a time, and that <laughs> and that's that's all I can do. That's the only way I can I, I can a, a, approach this situation without just giving up. And yeah, it's really hard to, to put into words how that felt. That I felt like I was completely, for the first time ever in any RP, that I was completely and totally. In, well, not totally, obviously, because I'm not actually on the spaceship, but you know, I was in sync in terms of my thought processes. Like, we were, me and my character were both thinking the same thing. And using the sort of suspension of disbelief and allowing myself to be immersed in that allowed me to feel it to some degree, which was. It was a huge thing for me personally. It was the, the you know, the perfect next step on my solo RP journey because it's something I've never considered that can happen from a solo RP experience.
0: Yeah, this is very, very, very different to what we covered last time when we looked at a solo RPG, which was Iron Swan. Mm. We can get into the differences in a moment. But yeah, I wanna circle back to something you mentioned about the connect between your character and yourself. One element of the game that absolutely nails this and I'm so glad it exists, is the physical recording of your audio. So the game suggests that you can log it on paper or you can log it by video or you can log it by audio but it recommends to log it by video or by audio. And uh, that's my biggest recommendation from this episode. Make sure you do that. If you can go go on to a- any recording, you know, just use your phone if you haven't got anything else. It's so important because As you're playing the game and you're drawing these cards, you're seeing what happens in narrative, you're thinking about what that means to you and you're making notes so you don't forget. It's not until you then have to say them aloud and actually act as your character in a way that you probably wouldn't with other solo role-playing games. I certainly don't when I play Ironsworn, for example. certainly don't talk out loud. I certainly don't walk around the room acting as my character. But the performative connect between what your character is doing in the narrative and what you're doing in real life is the abstraction is zero. If I said to you, Scruffy, in this game, I am on my own and I'm recording audio logs. Am I talking about you wouldn't know whether I'm talking about me as a character or me as a player because the the expression is. It, perfect for both yeah and that really brings out the emotion like scruffy was saying because you have to not just think about how your character feels but you then have to explain as your character how you're feeling in the moment and yeah that really all the emotions start to come out a couple of times i got choked up and i felt really me too i felt kind of silly but also amazed that I'm—I i allowed myself to have that kind of experience with a with a RP.
1: Sorry, Scruffy, I in, interrupted you. What were you going to say? Sorry, I was just going to say that I totally agree that. So it feels like with something like Ironsworn, it feels like you're writing a story, and there is a, a layer of disconnect between you and your character. You can get immersed, and you can get immersed in the fiction, and the world, and things. But I never felt that I could get quite as immersed with that form as I did with this so it feels like there's almost two games in one with with this wretched game that you're you're writing the logs and that feels very uh, typical from my solo experience of like okay there's a situation I write a thing and the I should quickly mention the game that feels quite quick even though that took up the longest part of the game for me it feels like that's just something you're sort of bustling through and, and being creative to get to the the important stuff, which is then the logs, because that's the bit where you start role playing, like really, really role playing, or at least that was my experience of it. And it felt a bit silly for the first one or maybe two days. It felt a bit like, you know, obviously it's a completely new thing I've never done before. But by the third or fourth day, I was wrapped up like and and just completely Lost my sense of self, and you know, sort of blurred between the me that was talking and the me that I was talking as and for, um, which was my character. Did you feel the same?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, if I could give advice, because when we do these um, shows, we often get you know in the Discord afterwards or, or by email or whatever, people say. Well, when I play this game, I have trouble with X, Y, and Z. Uh, what, what do you advise? So, if I could give any advice on 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 this, it would be to throw yourself into the acting with the um, with the logs, and the emotions and the horror will come. There's, <laughs> I used to work in like telesales when uh, I was first out of school, and there's there's an old expression: smile while you dial, because if you if you put on the smile, eventually you will feel happy, you know, eventually that will, that will have an effect on you and it will come through on the phone. And as dystopian as that sounds, because, you know, why can't you just be happy (laughs) anyway? (laughs) There's truth in that. I didn't feel the emotions of my character on day one or day two, but I was still acting as, as if I were. And that really helped me get into my character's head because eventually the, the emotions came afterwards. This probably sounds really crude, especially if you're at all into drama and I'm speaking to Scruffy who studied drama, that probably sounds really crude. But for me, who knows nothing, that was, uh, that was a really easy way for me to get into the character's mindset and allow myself to experience the horror that this game is trying to make me feel. What? What? I don't know if you have any.
1: Not crude at all. I mean, I've I've met very few people. I mean, a f- one or two uh, sort of, I guess, geniuses that are able to just snap into a character and feel that feeling straight away. But I think for for almost everyone, you need to start from a position of disconnect and and eventually merge with your character. Like, and it always takes me a very long time to do that. Uh, I always have a, a, a real difficulty in in all our of whether solo or not, finding my character and feeling with my character and this is the first time that that happened so quickly that i got so wrapped up in it by the la- the, the last day that i recorded i was absolutely unaware of the world around me uh, like the the room kind of just blurred out of existence it was it was something really special it's kind of it sounds a bit magical talking about it and it was it was magical for me and it, it was there's no other word for it It was a transformative experience and, and I think you're right that that only comes from taking that kind of leap of faith as the player diving in committing to it and not being afraid to be specific I did a similar thing to you I brought I brought in uh brought in names of, well, only one person I know, and that's, that's your name, Norm, just because I thought it'd be fun at the start. But it actually really did help to sort of have a name there, give that person a name, give that person a backstory, give my, you know, and, and that kind of emerges through the prompts of the cards. And then other names came out as well, which was fine, even though I didn't have them tied to a specific person in my life. It's still, they were real to my character and therefore to me. Um, I think specificity is always good because it helps ground things. But I think it also stops you having to worry about directing yourself. And at the start, you're kind of like, oh, am I doing that right? Or oh, am I being a bit melodramatic? Oh, you know, would my character actually say this? But if you just kind of just put that to one side and just say what feels natural, then you, if you're anything like me or you, Norm, then you do get wrapped up in it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a combination of those two things, the cards and the questions that they ask. So that you genuinely have to sit and consider and flesh out what has happened on the ship. You know, and like you said, the specificity.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to mention that the cards in this game, uh, obviously a lot hinges on them. And I think they are all the ones that I encountered were really, really good prompts that they sometimes ask quite a lot from you, but it, you can you can always in, in, invest as much or as little detail in them as you want. You can just copy and paste them piecemeal from the, the rule book into the notepad and just read them literally word for word as they are on the thing. And for some of them, you, you know, that's fine. But then others will inspire you. And, and And most, in fact, for me, inspired me to come up with a detail. Or even if I just went, okay, that will do as a detail. Then I drew another card and was like, oh, my God, that connects... To the last cut. Because <laughs> yeah. you make the connection, don't you? You make the
0: connection. We yeah. spoke about this last time. When we spoke about Iron Swan. It's projection. When you play games like these, you have to project onto it where you want the story to go anyway. Mm. And you kind of go into it with that. So I, I went in with a couple of things that I knew were going to happen. I came in with a very specific idea of how my creature was going to work. Before I came in, I said, the creature is going to be telepathic and it's going to communicate with my character through thoughts. And that's going to be an interesting thing for me to explore. That's the first time I played it. I played it twice. I'll get into why I didn't play it more than twice in a moment because it's it's a very interesting game in terms of
1: Replayability. I was going to ask about that. I'm glad you're bringing it up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I'll come back on to that in a moment. So I only came in with 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 that. Really, that was my that that's the preconception I had. One is that the the creature was going to be telepathic, and we'll see what happens with that. And the second one was that my character was going to be leaning into the darkness and leaning into the loneliness and not have that positive mental attitude that your character had, Scruffy. Those are only two preconceptions, but the rest all come naturally through the cards and because of the ideas you have going into it you yeah you project you make connections oh you know this card is obviously referring to that time I come across Scruffy's body and I found his key card even though it's not you know it is just a not a vague a specific but vague suggestion you connect it to what you've already made up in the fiction and become self-referencing. Would you agree with that, Scruffy?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that certain prompts lend the story to a certain conclusion. Like my monster ended up being—I don't want to spoil too much about my thing in case you, in case you guys haven't listened to it yet. And I'd love it if you would, because, like I say, it was—it was a really personal thing for me. And I think it—it it turned out it as quite an interesting and engaging story. But my monster ended up being telepathic as well and that wasn't something I went in with any preconceptions for so perhaps certain cards invite those sort of things I don't know because I have only played the game once and the reason I've only played the game once is that I didn't want to I didn't want to detract from that first experience and I wanted to leave a lot of time before I play again so I've forgotten what some of the cards are and it allows me to have a different experience i really 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 enjoyed my experience now i have played the wasteland version and we'll get onto that a bit later if we have time but it was nowhere near the same sort of experience that this one offered for me like not not even close in fact i I abandoned my playthrough i didn't enjoy it at all interesting so for your replayability of this game what did you find in your second playthrough because I'm, I'm really interested in, in knowing if it detracted from your first play for review, if, it was, if you felt that there was a lot of similar experiences, did you get all the way through it? How did it feel? I, I got
0: all the way through it.
1: In well, I got all the way through it in that I died. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, if that's what you mean. But yeah, playing it more than once is interesting because the prompts are very, they feel very specific. And they're specific enough that when i played for a second time i was like oh it's this card again i remembered all of them i was like oh Mm. yes i've seen this one before there was no kind of i forgot that it's not like rolling on the oracle in ironsworn where even if you do roll the same things are so vague that you've given the context of your situation it feels different Mm. the wretched is so tightly contained by comparison it's you are on a ship there is a creature outside there's only so much you can add variety in, in those things and the way i tackle that is i said okay well my last two preconceptions were i was going to have a negative mindset and i was going to have a telepathic creature kind of like an other dimensionally other dimension type creature the second time i played i said well why don't i change those two preconceptions entirely and see if that gives the cards a new context to me. And that's that's the only way I could think of tackling the problem.
1: I think that's a really good way of doing it.
0: Thanks. <laughs> so what I did is I said, well, the creature is going to be not so hard to understand, not so kind of otherworldly. This creature is going to behave like a creature. It's going to be motivated by food. It's going to be motivated by surviving. And it wants to kill me for the primal reason of eating me that's so that couldn't be more different to my first creature which was kind of you know a a unspeakable horror from another dimension kind of Lovecraftian if you will yeah and I said my character is going to be pragmatic and it's going to try to you know get through the situation and focus on the end goal of surviving and those two things were very opposite Did it lead to a different play experience?
1: No. Really? Yeah. Even though your logs were being recorded with less emotion, I suppose, less um, fixation on the darkness, it was still a a similar experience. It was a worse experience.
0: Okay. It was lessened, and it it might not be the delivery. It might just be because I knew a lot of the cards.
1: Yeah. This is why I haven't come back to it, because I think I, I imagine that that would be how I'd feel going in i can't imagine reaching that high again and, and getting that invested in a character again unless like i mean i think your idea of changing a few of the preconceptions is a really good call but i think you need a a fundamental shift and maybe even a whole new set of prompts i don't know i don't know if this game is at all replayable
0: yeah th- this is it so playing again i realized so playing the first time it was a two-way conversation me and the game and it was this really immersive dark twisted emotional experience full of surprises the second time playing i realized that i was doing a lot of the heavy lifting i was the one who was trying to think of the variety i was the one who was going well last time i did this with this card potentially this time i'll do this instead
1: yeah
0: takes you out of it but having to direct so much. yeah it certainly does take you out of it it's no longer a two-way conversation it's kind of like looking back for an old conversation, listening to somebody else's playthrough and thinking about how you'd do it differently. You know, that's okay. And I don't know if other people have a similar experience. If you know The Wretched, um, let me know. I will say this. I did it the next day because I was so excited. I did it the next day. That probably didn't help. I wonder what my opinion would be if I left it a couple of months and came back.
1: Yeah, maybe I should put a little content a spoiler warning on my YouTube video to say, if you haven't played the game, maybe play it first <laughs> just so you don't get anything ruined.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea, Scruffy, because, yeah, if you if you have any intention of playing the game, knowing what the cards are are kind of a big part of it. Hmm. I, w- I will say, though, it's probably safer to listen to to your playthrough and then go play it than it is to play it twice in a row. And that's because although you might know what the cards are, the logging of your audio is still a completely new experience it's not something that players are asked to do a lot in games so for that reason it might still be perfectly fine so i think you should feel free to 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 listen to scruffies before you play the game but i would probably advise if i was going to have my perfect wretched experience it would be just download the game and dive in
1: yeah absolutely okay um i just want to Go go back in, in, into the mechanics and how they link to the stakes of the game and why I think that the game has so much of an impact and is able to feel so real and give me a sense of stakes, even though I'm just RPing and there's no actual consequences for me. So obviously, to start with, I think the investment in potentially getting a happy ending is huge. And I think that, that feeling that things might work out for me, because I'm special and for my character, because they're special, it it is, it makes it real. It, it feels like despite everything that's going on, you want to win because you can see how difficult it is to win. And then what a story you'd have to tell everyone else who's played the game and anyone who'd listen. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say whether my thing won, whether I did win or not, no spoilers here, but I think that that's a big thing. And more importantly than that, even that my backstory, for example, for my character, only came out day seven into my logs. I drew a card that asked me to describe what happened, or it invited me to describe what happened. Right? I don't remember what it specifically said, but it felt right to do that. And so I, I wrote a whole th- I, I wrote a whole thing in my notes, and I said it in the in the thing, and I said. You know, this is what happened. I'm going to say the story, and here are all the people. You know, somebody sacrificed himself. This is how it all panned out. That story wouldn't have existed if I'd knocked the Jenga tower over a day, day early, or if you or the card even. Yeah. So the investment in surviving is one of discovery, like. So the more you live, the more you learn about your character, about this world you're creating as you go, and about yourself and those feelings. And just knowing that the moment, if if the tower gets knocked over, or if you lose another way, or even if you succeed, the moment the game ends, but especially if it ends abruptly, that takes away from you a chance to discover any more. That life, even though it's a fictional life, is over and that world is over and you'll never learn any more about it that's a real stake to me so the feeling of knocking that tower over accidentally and, and, and ending your game it, 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 it's one that is a real loss to you like an actual tangible loss because you no longer have a chance to play that game and learn any more about that character and interact with that side of yourself.
0: That's a really good point, Scruffy. It's not something that I had managed to put into words or write down in any of my show notes.
1: Hmm. It's it's a complicated thing to try and communicate, but it's it's very it's really true, and it's something that I really noticed. Like every time I started to take a, a, a tile from the tower, and and, and I was feeling dread. That it might fall over. Yes. So
0: one of the show notes was I, I wrote about, you know, we should speak about the Jenga Tower and how it really adds dread to the game. And it's, it's funny that we say, we say that because obviously the first system that, to my knowledge, introduced the Jenga Tower in, in a role-playing game... Is, is
1: dread, yeah.
0: Is dread, yeah. So <laughs> I suppose it, it makes sense. But I couldn't put into words why it, it brought on those feelings of dread. And I think you just nailed it. You know, it was that sense of well, the story ends and I want to know what happens. It's not just, I want to win. I do, I do agree with you that the, the game does incentivize you to want to win. And I think in the rule book, it frames it really well because it, it makes it sound like a really difficult achievement. It frames the game like you are in a hopeless situation, but you could make it through. And that does motivate you to want to survive. But the more powerful motivator is the one of discovery. I want Mm. to know what happens. I want to flesh out my character more. I'm in this now. I'm in this. And it doesn't take long to get into it. The whole thing through, the whole experience, I would say
1: wraps up in about two hours. Would you agree Mm -hmm. with that, Scruffy? Yeah, the the game says that it takes half an hour. Um, I don't know how you could play it in half an hour. It took me two hours. Most of that, when I edited down my audio logs, they came out to, and I didn't edit them much. Like I only took out the blank spaces where I wasn't talking. Um, So it's pretty much verbatim what I recorded. I thought that was important. But that that ends up being 40 minutes. So... The remaining one hour 20 was just taking notes uh, in my logs and, and drawing the cards and playing the game. So, yeah, about two hours for me. Yeah, and, and same. And I played it twice.
0: The first time was just a little over two hours, and the second time was just a tiny bit under, like one minute 50 or something. And, yeah, I it, it packs a lot of punch, you know. If, if all you're going to get out of this game is a two-hour experience and you're never going to play it again, that's it's still very much worth it, I think. Scruffy.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, my main takeaway is that it made me feel things that I have not felt before, and if that's not the point of an RP, then I don't know what is. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It, so it, it it feels a very specific function in that you know it's not very replayable, like we've just talked about potentially. I mean, unless I think it, it it's missing a a, a kind of module to allow replayability where you're able to give it a different framing a different context or something but in some ways that even enhances it because all the way through i knew like i was realizing as i was going i'm not going to be able to play this again because i'm you know i'm not every card i drew with every single new card i drew i realized i got further and further away from being able to have a unique experience next time and that just upped the stakes even more for when this game is over, this game is over for me, you know. And yeah. maybe I'll be able to revisit it after a, a, a time away. And maybe if I if I can reframe it, but the fact that that doesn't exist yet enhances the experience.
0: Yeah, it definitely increases the stakes. I was telling myself, "Look, you idiot, don't wobble the tower." Pull it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah,
1: because, and then,
0: because you're not going to have this experience again. That that was absolutely it. a couple of other things that make it really unique as a as a role playing game. Before I move, on, there's a couple of other things that we want to talk about in this podcast. But before we move on from the mechanics, there's a couple of other things that make it quite unique. If you haven't played a journaling style role playing game before, if your usual fare with role playing games are things like Dungeons and Dragons, a couple of things that will make it different. First one, and it's quite a big one. There's no character sheet. The game doesn't ask you to build your character. It just asks you to, and that helps make it more personal because they can't say, how does it make you feel? And then where's the gap? There's no gap. There's no piece of paper saying, well, that's me. I'm me, you know?
1: The fact that they don't have a, a plus three in charisma, which you know you don't have as a person, means that you're more able to slip into their skin. Because yeah. there isn't that barrier there. If I'm playing a, an orc warrior in d and I know I'm not an orc warrior in real life. So I'm able to have that disconnect. Whereas this character is a blank canvas who could easily be me.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And it allows you to project yourself onto them. And then... <laughs> I think
1: it helps that I gave my character the nickname Scruffy as well. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't even come up with a, a unique name. I just said Flight Engineer Norm. I think that's a good idea. If you can make it personal, you should. And it works really well because you're not going to play a whole campaign with your friends saying Flight Engineer Norm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or whatever your, your own name is, you're good, just going to do it for this two hour experience where you are... Aiming, where the aim is to create a personal story and have it affect you in a very personal way. So, yeah, if 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 I can give a little bit more advice, I feel like uh, an agony aunt just giving out advice in this episode. <laughs> but if I can give any more advice, if to 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 give you your perfect wretched experience, don't think too much about the name. Don't roll on a random name generator. Just say it's you. Just it's yeah. you. It is you on that ship.
1: It's interesting. I, I get the temptation to do it because I think we both had such a profound experience with this that we want to share that and say you know here's how you can capture it you know yeah uh, yeah it's totally totally makes sense that you'd want to give that advice yeah and another thing that we've already spoken about is the Jenga
0: tower how there's no there's no tr- you know I don't track the ship's stats using a tick box or a track that ticks down it's It's a physical thing in front of me that I can see. I can see the vulnerability of the ship
1: as well. Yeah, and you don't know how many moves. You don't know that it's got 10 HP and it's down to six. You don't know. There's no certainty there. It just looks a bit wobbly now. Yeah, it just looks fucked. (laughs) I don't know if you ever had this experience, but when I was doing my recording at one point, I was like, you know trying to work out what to do and this is this was the one day at a timeline and I looked over at the tower before I said like I was like what am I going to do next in my head and I, I looked over at the tower at and saw how bleak it was looking and that's when I was like just one day at a time that's all I can do one day at a time I can just keep that in my mind it's just keep that tower up one more day
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and uh another thing that is quite unique about this as a role-playing game perhaps not as a journaling role-playing game but again speaking to those who haven't Play this type of game before. It is so easy to learn and get playing. Mm. There is no rules overhead at all. Scruffy has actually told you the rules in the description. You do just read the script for day one, you roll a dice, you draw that many cards, and then you flip them over and you do your log.
1: Those are the rules. Having said that, I don't think it's a, a great RP as your first solo RP because it's so... Unique, and I think I'm really glad I encountered it after I encountered Iron Swarm because I don't know what I would have done not having that baseline of knowing that an RP can be an adventure and a journey, not just this intense personal emotional experience. I don't yeah.
0: know. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Yeah, in no way would I recommend this as your as, as your first. Oh, but 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 by all means, if if you haven't played one before and you're tempted to try it, go ahead, but just know that they you can play a and esque campaign structure game. In many ways, it transcends what even multiplayer RPs do because I've never played a multi... You know, in, in the last episode on solo role-playing when we spoke about Ironsworn, we spent a lot of time talking about the things you lose from multiplayer to solo and how we felt about that and how the game deals with it. And it's very clever in, in the way it does it. And I still absolutely adore Iron Swan and my feelings on that haven't changed one iota. However, this is a really different episode. We're talking about things that, hey, these don't even exist in multiplayer RPGs. These are stuff that you can't do in multiplayer RPGs. You can't be alone on a ship logging your daily logs like you are in real life in this game. So in many ways, it, it's an experience above a multiplayer experience, which is, is fun to say because last time around, we were speaking very much about how it compares to multiplayer. And this in this episode, it's very much, this is a bunch of stuff you can't even do multiplayer, yeah, which is fun. It shows, it shows off the genre really well. But on the subject of the logs and on the subject of the Jenga tower, I wanted to bring up a concept that I actually discovered listening to another podcast, the Ludology podcast, and I wanted to bring up how this game reminded me of that concept and just share it with you guys as listeners and and yourself as well, Scruffy, to get your thoughts, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So listeners, go ahead and treat yourself to Ludology episode 230. It's a great episode but the basic concept was they were talking about different verbs in board games and how there are two sets of verbs. One thing that the player is doing in real life, the thing that you are doing, are you rolling dice? Are you drawing cards? Are you placing meeples? What is it you as the player are doing? Are you writing on your character sheet, for example, to use a role-playing example? And then there's the thing that you are doing in the game. So when you write on your character sheet minus one, that represents a more complex verb, which is you've you've just been stabbed or you're under attack or, you know, rolling dice can be as many different things from resolving a battle to growing vegetables in your garden and (laughs) everything in between. And it's interesting, the general principle of that episode was there are many, many different verbs Secondary verbs, verbs you're doing in the game, your, the things that your characters are doing. But there aren't very many primary verbs. There aren't very many interesting things you will physically do as a player. And this is a really good example of a game with very unique physical actions, intricate little physical actions. You, yes, you roll a dice and you draw cards like you do in many, many countless other games but there's a Jenga tower sat in
1: front of you, which represents a ship. Like, wow. (laughs) That's so unique. I think it's important to point out there that, I mean, all of this links to the idea of a performative connect. That You are trying to do a similar thing to what your character is doing. And the Jenga tower is perfect because what your character is trying to do is they are trying to repair the ship. So it's a tangible thing involving delicate operations and moving things. And, but also, you know, on an emotional and on a, on a meta level, they're trying to delicately keep themselves okay, keep themselves alive and avoid anything going wrong. And that's what you're trying to do with a Jenga tower. You're trying to avoid it spilling over and something going wrong,
0: right? But the important thing is, although there's a really, really lovely performative connect, there is still an abstraction. You know, it would mean mm. it wouldn't be as effective if they sent, if when you bought The Wretched, it came with all these electrical pieces that you actually had to fix in real life, and there were instructions. That, even though it is more thematic, would not be as effective. It would take you out of the game. So the abstraction level was perfect. It's enough to where it doesn't take you out of the game, but it's still thematically tied in well enough that it means something to the players, and that's, that's perfect. in in my opinion. And just going back to just the idea of doing more interesting things physically, not just rolling dice and drawing cards, but doing something different. I remember uh, Rob from our Discord, I post a picture of when I was playing The Wretched. I said, oh look guys, I'm playing The Wretched. And he was like, oh cool. And then he realized that the Jenga tower wasn't just in the background, it was a part of the game. And all of a sudden he became very interested. He was like, whoa, whoa, you guys covering that on the show? It's interesting to people. People enjoy doing new things. And this game really shows that off really well, I think.
1: Yeah, I think it's also worth mentioning that the, the cards are good as well because, I mean, I don't know if you found this too, but having them come up felt almost like the display on a computer screen. The fact that they're so visual and so popping and that they're just a, an arcade number that you don't have to look up in the manual. That action of referencing a, a number with a, with a thing... It's almost like the first steps on, if you're sat in that chair on the, in, on the spaceship, getting the error report coming in and having to work out where it is so you know what you've got to deal with. <laughs> I mean... That is
0: a connect that I wasn't able to make. I think you're just more um, dramatically inclined than I am, Scruffy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I I didn't really... It wasn't like as quite as visceral as the as the Jenga tower. But I, I think it's important that it's so quick and so snappy and yes. that it gets you to where you want to go. And, you know, I, I felt like having the computer screens here and, and working with it, it was all, yeah, it was all very good.
0: Perfect. I want to ask you, Scruffy, about Wasteland, because there are... Okay. There, Just for the sake of our listeners, there are lots of different games that use these mechanics. And I will send over a link to itch.io where they did a what they call a wretched and alone jam and there are nearly a hundred games that use these similar mechanisms so if this sounds interesting to you but you think oh actually i don't want to experience horror i really appreciate what you guys are saying but i don't want to feel those emotions i don't want to be on a ship Uh, click on that link and it will take you to bunch of different themes and aesthetics that you can use for your own play and one of the examples is wretched the wasteland scruffy you've played it i haven't what's it like
1: so this one's inspired by kind of a fallout sort of world and that's right up my alley and disclaimer before i kind of neg all over it because I didn't enjoy my experience of it. I just want to say that I love that it exists and I love that there's all those other systems there and that people have been inspired by the Wretched system to make more games like it. I think that I'm I'm going to have to start trawling through them because I really want to find more games like the Wretched and like we've already discussed in the episode the fact that it doesn't have so much replayability means that these systems are kind of integral to the longevity of the game. That being said... I did not like The Wasteland. And there are kind of three main reasons why I didn't like it. The first is that there was a mechanical and thematic disconnect, specifically a lot of the time to do with the cards. So it would say you'd have cards that said things like, uh, you discover a a bunker. Uh, Do you choose to stay in the bed? And that's an okay prompt. But then the mechanical reward for that was that you get to roll a re-roll on your next movement which didn't make any sense to me. Like if you're staying in a bunker, why would you get an increase in your movement in the future? The Jenga tower in this game is also meant to represent your body, your health, your, your mind state. And, and I had a moment where, for example, I got shot and didn't have to take a a block from the Jenga tower, but I did have to take one off when I inhaled some smoke. (laughs) Bizarre. Yeah. So that wasn't, that wasn't great. And, There are also times, and this moves on to my second point, there are also times where it says that you can choose to take a block from the Jenga tower. So the mechanics pull you away from interesting or consistent stories because why would I choose to do that unless it made sense within the fiction to do that? But then I'm incentivized to make, because I control the fiction, I'm incentivized to make it not make sense in the fiction, so make a more boring interaction with that card prompt it doesn't quite make any sense like why would you encourage players to pull away from interesting or impactful moments by saying you know you'll be essentially taking an extra hit if you make this trigger this card a big deal whereas if you just downplay it you can just skip taking a hit on your on your jenga tower bizarre again you know that felt really really weird to me And then I think the third and I think probably maybe the most important problem for me is one of pacing in this game. The overarching story is that you are being chased by raiders and you're trying to get back to your camp. And then there are cards that ask you to start describing strange flora that's appearing. I'm not going to stop and smell the flowers within this context what what a weird situation you know i'd I'd come across you know random groups of people doing stuff and stop and watch them do their little rituals why 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 am i stopping and looking at the sights along the wasteland when i'm being chased by raiders it felt really really weird i mean going back to the bunker thing why would i go why would i stay in the bunker when i'm being chased it just it felt really bizarre like why have that as the overarching story why not have it just that you're trying to survive in the wasteland and then you can stop and smell the roses, and maybe you're heading somewhere specific. But this, how this whole concept of you being chased felt like I was trying to rush throughout the game, and felt like a lot of the prompts made even less sense. It made it feel feel very strange. Sounds like you and the game were working against each other a lot of the time. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think that's the kind of the heart of it, and that's why I didn't get on with it. So yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to linger on this one too much because like I say I I really love the ambition and if you can get any sort of pleasure from it great but for me it it took the kind of concepts of the other one and then the the choices they made with the new context and the choices they made with the specifics on the cards totally fell down I think you need to put a lot of thought into what those cards are saying and how they make sense within the meta-narrative of the setup of the story.
0: Okay. Yeah, that sounds perfectly reasonable. I haven't played the game myself, so I can't disagree with you like I normally do. (laughs)
1: Yeah, (laughs) I've got a question for you, just moving back to uh, The Wretched, because this is something I've been struggling with. I just want to know, why do you think that it feels so different from, say, watching a movie? How come both of us were able to confront our psyche in a more real and immediate way than when we for example watch a watch a movie watch tv or or play a narrative driven a narrative driven video game even i guess what i'm getting at is is it sort of the feeling uh, the illusion of control is it that you are part of the creative process that it's personal i genuinely can't kind of pin it down to one thing that sort of takes it to a more personal level because we empathize with characters in movies we empathize with our characters when we're playing other games so why why is this one more personal?
0: Uh, well, I don't know if it is more personal. Don't mean to be con- contrary, but I've played a lot of video games. That well, I haven't. Let me just scratch that. I don't play a lot of video games. But when I have played video games, especially horror video games, I find them really immersive, and it takes very little time at all for me to experience the terror that my character is 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 feeling. OK, so I don't I don't think it is more, um, but it doesn't have to be more. It doesn't have to be less. These are different experiences. Personally, I think the, the reason it feels so different and the reason I had bleed for the rest of the evening where I wouldn't with a video game. And I guess you could say that is more, but it didn't, it didn't feel more intense in the in, in during the process. But I guess I'm, I'm getting off point. The reason it feels different, I think, is because something you alluded to just there. you're a part of the process came from my mind all these dark things i said and did in this game i i thought of those i made those happen that's quite shocking but i had to confront those types of emotions and that all came from my own brain and that shocked me And i think that's one of the reasons why mm. i was so affected for the rest of the day and you don't have that with a video game does that make sense at all scruffy
1: yeah, yeah, I think it does. I think maybe it's just that it's something that took me somewhere that other media has not taken me yet. And obviously, yeah, I, I'm not saying that media and other games and other things I've watched or plays I've seen where I haven't made me have that same feeling of going somewhere new in myself and, and discovering new things. But I just wondered why specifically this one, this one did it. And I guess you're right, it must be to do with that you are the architect of the, I guess you'd say, horror and emotional pull and emotional drive of the story, which makes it even more personal, like a dream.
0: Yeah, that's a really good analogy. Absolutely. And the, that kind of bleed uh, that you have from a dream where you wake up and you go, oh, that was awful. Oh, I can't I can't really remember specifics, but you remember the feeling. And it was the same with The Wretched. I wasn't sat there thinking, and then this happened. I was just, I just remembered a feeling and yeah you're, you're you're absolutely spot on it's a really good question i don't know if i can answer it uh, any better than i have done there but... no
1: i think you i think you, you've given us a lot of a lot to think about shall we move on to the next part of the show where we yes i think uh, i think we've covered the wretched there hopefully you guys got something out of our little chat about that and uh know where we stand on the wretched now it's amazing <laughs> It's so Um, spooky. (laughs) (laughs) So Scruffy, before we
0: read out the responses from last episode, let's go ahead and ask our listeners a new question this time round.
1: What is that question? Okay, the question this episode is, what is the most affecting moment you've had in a game? So by that, what I mean is a moment that made you feel something very personal and perhaps something that you don't normally feel in your day to day life. And if you can't
0: remember the specifics of the story, just let us know the game and why you think the game was able to pull that out of you, what it done, how mm. it framed the experience for you. This could be a role-playing game, a video game, a board game, a, a made-up game that you played with your kids. <laughs> yeah. Or whatever. But yeah, a time that you're really affected by playing a game. We'd love to know. Because this certainly was the most I've been affected by by a role playing game for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean Ironsworn when I when I had the conclusion of my character and you know he died, it it felt impactful, but it didn't take me quite as far into my own psyche as this did and into that intimate conversation with myself that I've never had to have before. And that was, yeah, the wretched number one for me, the most affecting moment I've had in a game. I've been scared in games. I've played Subnautica and weed myself when the when the, Reaver, the Reaper came at me, but <laughs> not not. I've not had to then, you know, really confront it. Well, I, I guess to, it's it's to a lesser extent. It's not a binary, is it? But yeah, that's uh that's kind of what we mean by affecting something that took you to somewhere new for yourself, somewhere out of your comfort zone. Great. So the
0: first response we got actually came from our Discord. Now.
1: I normally read out
0: emails only, but I, I think I'm going to stop doing that because we get a lot of people, like the purpose of the Discord is for people to respond to the show, right? Mm. And just chat amongst themselves. And we even have a specific dedicated channel called Podcast, where people can put their responses. And it seems weird that I'm not then reading those out on the show. <laughs> <you know>?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Feels like I, I, I love our Discord. It's just such a great place.
0: Genuinely, my favourite gaming community online and i know that's biased because we started it but it doesn't feel like our community it feels like community all of it itself because you guys are so nice but the first one i got was from uh he's on discord as rob the game guy and he wrote in about Iron Swan specifically and he had some thoughts on solo role playing and how it compares to multiplayer role playing specifically from a GM's point of view. Just thought you'd find this interesting, Scruffy.
1: Okay.
0: Says, "Um, I've definitely got the Iron Swan itch. I just have so many projects and games, so it's in my queue now for sure. Also wanted to add that the solo RPG hobby sounds a lot like the experience I have when building sessions for my campaigns that I DM or GM. I'm talking about prep time, not play time specifically. So during prep, if he's not sure where to go with the story, he might roll some dice, he might use some random generators, he might look at some exploration tables. He mentioned a couple, uh, called one called Donjon, which is spelled D-O-N-J-O-N, Kobold Fight Club, and, and many others as well. And sometimes it surprises him and takes him in directions he didn't anticipate. And half the time, the players will never get to even experience those little twists and turns that you didn't anticipate. So he's looking forward to solo role playing because he's going to explore those twists and turns that his players don't normally when they go in a different direction. I was just wondering what you think about the similarities between preparing
1: and or GMing and playing a game like Iron Swan. Yeah, I must have missed that comment, but that's really interesting because it sounds like he's experiencing a story like uh, he, he's playing a solo rp while he's creating the game you know doing the narrative twists and turns he's he's not a character necessarily more a sort of ghost moving through the narrative um i imagine or hypothetical characters i don't know if he if he uses his uh, his players as surrogates imagining the choices they'll make and things but for sure it sounds like you'll get a real kick out of uh iron that's Almost almost exactly what it's like. I've only GM once before and I was pretty rubbish at creating a story. I never really sat down and did it properly. So I can't say how much it mirrors up. Maybe that's something I'll have to do if I do decide to GM for other players again, or even just use one of my solo experiences and have them follow the same path. That'd be a really good way to uh, to prep a session, wouldn't it? Play a solo game yourself and then have their characters come in and see what they do differently.
0: I feel like the this, this solo role-playing experience that I've had has certainly made me more confident to GM. If someone said to me, mm. I want to play this game, could you GM? Before, I'd have been quite reluctant. I can GM, but I...
1: You're a great GM, Norm.
0: Thank you. I, I struggle. It's not. It doesn't come easy to me. It doesn't come natural. But solo role-playing has allowed me to... F- think on the fly so much more and I'm amazed at the coherent and deep narratives that come out of that kind of on the fly thinking that it's made me just a little bit more confident to be like well you know what if you're not very good at preparing for a session that's fine because the players are going to give you input that you're you know you can cope with and roll with because you do it all the time by yourself and if someone was to say to me now I want to play a one shot or a campaign with you GM, if I had the t- if timing wasn't an issue, if the only issue was confidence and competency, I'd be much more confident and that all comes from playing solo role playing. So that's an unexpected benefit that I didn't I didn't see, which is pretty cool I think.
1: That's awesome.
0: Had some more. So we got another re- we got a couple of other responses from the episode that we did last time on PAX Premier and Atomadex. One of which I would like to read out is from Banana Republic, who said, great podcast again this week. I just finished it. I love listening to your analysis because whenever I play, I tend not to think too much about my Atome opponent, at least not super critically. I don't think about what my Atome opponent could have done better, etc. So it was very eye-opening to see this kind of analysis which I thought was quite nice of him to say.
1: That's really lovely of you, Banana. Thanks. And uh, yeah, I hope you you got a kick out of playing PAX Premier.
0: And we also had another one from Comrade Boris, who says, yes, great episode. Regarding Gaia Project, I agree that the mine placement requires a bit of work, but I believe this was the first Atoma Factory implement of their two-card system and a starting deck which new cards get added to throughout the game. I believe Scruffy would prefer this system versus something like the Chronobot, since the two-card system uses face-up card that informs the player what the atoma might do next turn without a clear sense of what the possibilities are.
1: Yes, I remember seeing this comment, uh, and yeah, I, I agree. I think you probably probably got me nailed there. That I, I need to, I definitely need to try out Gaia project, and when we do return to AI, I'm almost certain that's the one we'll probably tackle. Is that fair to say, on?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, we got a lot more comments over on the Discord on uh, and feedback from the episode, but those were um, some of the ones I thought were quite interesting and thought we could obviously talk about here. That's probably it for responses. So
1: do we just want to remind the listeners what the question was for this episode? So the question this episode is, what is the most affecting moment you've had in a game? Yep. And remember, you can write in as always... By email, it's
0: alwaysplayer1podcast at gmail.com. You can join the Discord and you can give your feedback on our podcast channel. The links to join our Discord are in the description. It's free. What are you waiting for? <laughs> you can also reach out on Facebook and on Instagram. We're at always Player one podcast on Instagram. The links to our Facebook are also in the description. And finally, if you want to support the show, we have a patron. Sign up to Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash always player one podcast Scruffy, what do they get for
1: signing up? I mean it's a pretty good reward, isn't it? Uh yeah, there's a whole mini series on there called Planning Phase, which is a behind-the-scenes look at our decision-making process for what games we cover in the main podcast. And don't forget to check out my YouTube playthrough that's up on my channel. Links in the description for the wretched. It's uh, it was a lot of fun recording it and putting it together, and it's pretty raw, pretty uh, unedited, like I say. Uh, and yeah, it's it's exciting. I really enjoyed making it, and I was really it, it's where I spilled all that bleed energy into right after recording the uh, game.
0: <laughs> and just a note on planning phase: it comes out every off week, so every week we don't release a podcast we released an episode of planning phase, which is much smaller and uh, much more rough around the edges because it's just us two chatting about what we should cover next. But if you do sign up to a patron, you won't have to wait two weeks to hear from us. You'll get a new episode every week, both the main podcast. And planning
1: phase um but yeah i think that's pretty much everything for oh, this uh, one last thing uh, we did a special halloween stream on twitch if you didn't catch that it's up on my twitch still if you want to check out our top 10 lists for halloween movies and don't forget to follow me there if you want to see any live streams we do in the future we often do iron on there and uh, i'm sure other things will pop into our stream in the future
0: yeah and just thanks for everyone who joined us live on that one if you didn't it's not about games it's about horror films it's the halloween special but feel free to go check it out um as scruffy said links are in the description i think that's everything for this episode unless there's anything else you can think of
1: no i think that's all our crazy stunts for now so thank you guys so much for listening you're awesome have an awesome rest of your day yeah catch you in two weeks
0: thanks
1: for listening If you'd
0: like to support the show, don't forget to check out our Patreon page. The links to that are in the description. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Always Player One. Until then, reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or by email to keep the conversation going.